Hello, I'm Jeff Lester, and welcome to Wait, What? The Comics Podcast for Savage Critics website. Welcome to Semi-Unlucky Episode 113. In spite of some vexing technical difficulties, Graham McMillan and I team up to discuss comics news, give you some reviews, and answer a few more of listeners' questions. Remember, you can always find complete show notes for today's episode over at savagecritic.com. Stuff under discussion today includes the second issue of The New Avengers, the death of the family storyline in the 16th issues of Batman, Batgirl, and Batman and Robin, Captain America number 3, Shaco, the only bear on the CIA's death list, the wrap-up of Howard Chaikin's Black Kiss number 2, season 4 of Misfits, Marvel Solicits, Thanos Rising, the one-trick ripoff by Paul Pope, and our good friend, much, much more. As always, we hope you enjoy. Thanks for listening. Let's try take two. <laughs> yes. Let's. Listeners, what you've missed uh, is Jeff and I tried to do this podcast, or tried to start this podcast like five minutes ago. And first of all, Jeff utterly disappeared at one point uh, because he, I don't know, touched his microphone in an inappropriate place or something. And then... I don't know. I, I, I really hope it recorded, and I hope you like can actually snippet this in. Jeff turned into Max Headroom. For some <laughs> Skype or microphone or something, just looped like him going, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then, and then. And it was terrifying and hypnotic at the same time. <laughs> and you didn't hear at all, which is the best part. No, no I had it. So nothing you keep reacting. It's just been like, what the fuck? And you're like, hello? And I could hear you at the same time as, and then, and then, and then. And then. <laughs> Very weird. Well, hopefully this is resolved. It entailed me unplugging some things, replugging in other things, and then, um, you know, but yes, let's go. I'm assuming that... Technology. Yeah. Hooray. Let me to tell you a technology story, which is great. Please. NASA announced yesterday that they're going to send an inflatable space station into orbit. What? I shit you not. There's something called a, I think it's a BASE. Mm-hmm. It's an acronym that stands for something, or I could be wrong. It's an acronym that stands for something along the lines of, you know, the name of the company is like Baycroft or, or something like that. Right. Uh, and then whatever the other initials are. But it is a, it's an inflatable addition to the International Space Station that they're going to have up there for two years. And test various things, including, incredibly amusingly, whether it leaks. <laughs> wow. Well, that's a brilliant proof of concept. You know, like the whole idea of like one of our biggest tests are, does it hold? Exactly. Yeah. It d- doesn't stay up there. But isn't that great? They're adding like a fucking bouncy castle. Yeah. It's basically a bounce house in space. It's kind of, I don't know. I kind of wonder how the fuck they were able to get that going. You know what I mean? They actually, apparently NASA had this idea more than a decade ago. And Congress are like, you're fucking joking, right? And (laughs) funding. And so this private company took it on. They licensed the rights from NASA. Did all their proof of concept. Mm -hmm. Built the thing. They have two unmanned ones in orbit Mm -hmm. right now. Now, I don't mean to be an idiot, although I clearly am. I thought... Air was at a premium up there. Do you just do they fill it up with something else other than oxygen or? Uh, no, does that it, sound incredibly dumb? Oxygen <laughs> apparently pre-packed with the thing. So they don't they don't inflate it while they're in space. It 
launches pre-inflated? Yeah. Well, no, it doesn't launch pre-inflated. It launches like with an air tank attached. Oh, I see. Oh, I see. It's the entire point of it is it's not pre-inflated, so it's smaller to get up there. Well, that's what I was thinking. Like, there's a way in which it makes sense to me because, yeah, you get something very small. And then, of course, because of the weightless factor, I'm sure that it can – you don't – in theory, the amount of material you need is pretty minor. It's just – it's the, the getting it up into entry and getting it down from re-entry is where you need all the heavy-duty stuff. Yeah. The other spectacular part of this, mm -hmm. they're still getting it down from re-entry. After two years, they're apparently just going to let it loose, and they hope it's going to burn up and re-entry. Oh God. <laughs> oh. Think about this story makes me happy. <laughs> this is good as the one that... Did you see the story I put on Twitter last week about the the guy who escaped from jail by tying bed covers together? No. Oh, did you not? No. So this Chicago, he and his cellmate literally uh, escaped from a high-rise prison in Chicago. Uh-huh. Tying their bed sheets together and climbing down outside the building. I, I I can't believe it. I mean, it's like the next thing you'll do is tell me that like then an, another prisoner oh, escaped with like a file in a cake. It gets better. When they found this guy two days later, mm -hmm. he was dressed as an old man wearing a beret. <laughs> really, I, sometimes the world gives you new stories like that just to make you go, thank you. Thank you, world, for existing. An old man wearing a beret. Yeah, there's there's nothing that's not wonderful about that story, right? Ah, that is great. It really is wonderful. Oh, of course, I'm always bummed when they catch those people. I know that's entirely the wrong way to think about it, but... It's a, this guy's, like, a really fucking bad guy, but... Was he? Yeah, yeah. I, I want to say, like, he was a violent offender, and he was in there for, like, beating the shit out of a judge or something like that. Oh, God. Like, exactly. <laughs> right. <laughs> We're what? glad that he's caught, you know? Kiro, who's like, you know, and then he beat up this guy to save his grandmother. And you're like, oh, come on, he can escape. Right. But no, this guy was just a dick. Just a dick. <laughs> Les Mis 2, just a dick. Uh, huh. Hmm. So that that's my, that's what's happening in the real world story. Uh, I have one other thing to say before we start. Yes. Intriguing. Also, can you just say that as well? Intriguing. Intriguing. Do you know why we're saying this? Not yet. Okay, just on Twitter like five minutes ago, uh, at Twist or Robin mm -hmm. tweeted me, I enjoy your Wait What podcast. I'm laughing on the bus at you guys saying intriguing a bunch of times. In <laughs> <laughs> intriguing. I wonder what, I, do you remember what we were talking about at that point? I don't remember what was intriguing at all, but you <laughs> well, apparently just kept saying it. I believe it. I believe it. I wonder it's something we'd say, doesn't it? It does. It does. And something we would say repeatedly. And in the case of like two weeks ago when we were both sort of starting out on our respective cleanses, something we might have said for, I don't know, fifteen minutes or more. So when we were saying, don't forget that part of it. <laughs> we just keep saying it, not realizing we're repeating ourselves over and over again. Yeah. No, that's so true. So true. Um yeah, in fact, I I apologize to you and to the listeners in advance, not just because of all the various microphone snafus, which admittedly this thing has worked for almost seven minutes in a row now, which leads me to suspect I fixed the problem. Um, but I had a delightful uh, sushi lunch with my wife and the wonderful Lauren Davis. So 
I'm basically ready to take a nap. It's going to be really, really hard, I think, for me to talk anything that isn't like... Let's see how well this goes and how long this podcast goes. Yes, exactly. I you mentioned reminds me that I want to make like a public thing that I am at some point honestly going to email Lauren really soon. I've been thinking for the last couple of days that I like over an email and have for months. Mm-hmm. I was saying it on the podcast. <laughs> so the people in the comments can like, did you did you email her? Because like did you email her? Yeah. If it will be five days later. <laughs> I should have. <laughs> well there you go. Uh listeners, if one of you wants to take go the extra mile and ask in the comments thread uh when this podcast goes up, that might be uh that might really help Graham out a lot. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you everyone. <laughs> uh dude, there's no significant comic book news, is there? I haven't been paying much attention the last week, but I get the sense there's nothing, right? Really? Are you joking? Uh no. Let's see, what could have happened in the last week? Well, the new DC solicitations came out that revealed that two writers are off DC Comics before they've even been released. Oh, I thought we were talking about that last week already. That The whole thing with Jim Zub and uh, the other dude who got pulled off of uh, Constantine or whatever? Yeah. Yeah, okay. That was, no, that, was, that happened on Monday, so we couldn't have talked about it last week. Oh my God, what is wrong with my sense of time? <laughs> Um, yeah, that that happened, which was entertaining. Mm-hmm. Uh, and by entertaining, I mean completely horrific. Yeah, really kind of shocking. Oh, yeah, I suppose we should talk about DC's equivalent to the Wait What podcast, which is um, Bob Harris and Bobby Chase playing... With, doing... with spectacular, <laughs> spectacular thing where they're like, hey, so what's that about Gail Simone firing? And he's like, oh, Gail Simone was never fired. What are you talking about? Yeah. Which was great. Here's the funny part of that, and I will name no names. Okay. Uh, I called that on Blog and Newsarama. Mm-hmm. Basically, you are outright lying there, Bob Harris. Right. And was contacted by someone who works at DC, who, in in let's let's just say they're an anonymous source. <laughs> really? Like, okay. Like, though that thing that happened that. Like, everyone thinks they know what happened publicly. Mm-hmm. Might not have gone down the way that certain people were portraying it publicly. Uh, you don't think this is just spin control? I mean, you know, on DC, like, somebody unnamed at DC going like, okay, here's face-saving number two, or... Sure. Hmm. I shouldn't say anything like, no, it's what Bob said. Wow. He just said, yeah, that might not have gone down the way that everyone thinks it went down. Interesting. Interesting. Well, I think they do some sort of like actual real attempt to spin. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, that's not the whole story. Wow. Uh, which makes you really, really curious what the whole story is. We'll Dude, see. You've got your deep throat. You should just start digging. Like, I mean, I have, I'm kidding. Like, how would that I, I have, help you? Uh, in as you way? know, I have other DC things that I'm, if I have a deep throat, that I'm going to be looking into. Ah, uh, yes. Yes. Um, but yeah, I thought that was I thought that was really interesting. I thought that the interview in CBR, which is is really is a monthly call called B and B listeners, mm-hmm. in which Bob Harris and Bobby Chase answer questions from CBR's someone. I think it's Josie Campbell. Mm-hmm. I thought the the column was appalling. <laughs> I did. I mean, even even it was with really that terrible, one, right? Mm-hmm. Wasn't just me. I you know I don't know. I'm sorry. Oh, he's of... gone. Really? Oh, mm-hmm. yep, Jeff. Unless you're being very quiet right now, your microphone is disappearing again. Ah, shit. Graham, can you hear me now? Graham? He came back. What happened? I, 
I don't know. I don't know. Because unlike the other times where there was like a clicking and like the power died out, nothing especially. You're happened. now you're on a terrible, terrible phone line. Uh, okay. Did you do any sort of internet rebooting thing before I called you? Yes, I did. You did? Damn it. All right. Um, well, I don't know exactly what to do apart from this, really. God. Let's do this and we'll see what happens. Yeah. Okay. As <laughs> <sighs> I was saying. Yes. Uh, the, the like the the column was terrible. Mm-hmm. Like it was not just me, right? You you thought it was a terrible terrible column as well. I was pretty appalled. I was pretty appalled. Well, in part because there's um even apart from the Gail Simone situation, they were being pretty absurdly um disingenuous about the fact that they hired two people and then canned them before the first issues of their, you know, before their book even came out. You know, which strikes me as a really bad way to run a railroad, and yet they seem to somehow try to do their best to spin it in just the opposite way. You know, like this was the best thing for everybody concerned. It was the craziest thing as well because they're like, "Yeah, Jim's up." No, it wasn't Jim's up. Robert Mazzetti can't do Constantine because he's going to be really busy. So we gave it to two other guys who have like five other books between them. Right, right, exactly, exactly. And I mean, I was just like. And and that just sort of struck me as, like, such bullshit. I mean, it struck me as bullshit in the way of, like, oh, yeah, it's this special thing that he may very well get if he's smart enough to go along with this story. Wink, wink. You know what I mean? Yeah, it, it was just, like, it was the strangest, strangest thing. Yeah. I, I I really feel for Jim's Up in particular. Oh, yeah, actually. He was the book the week before. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, so, like, yeah, how did that go down? I mean, that's just it. Like, it mu- okay, so obviously the change happened in the last week. Mm-hmm. And the day after that on Newsarama, they talked to Christy Marks, who's replacing Zub on Birds of Prey. Oh, God, that seemed to... that, And you know, I saw your but, blog ad excerpts, and that seemed horrible, too. Yeah, I've just found out. I haven't really got any long-term plans yet. And <laughs> comics out in nine weeks. Like, I know. At least in nine weeks. And it sounds like she got the gig without really knowing anything like i'm very excited to be working about these birds on prey you know yeah. like she's like yeah it's kick-ass woman i love kick-ass and i love woman what's not to like and you're like so you fired this guy who has pitched for the book yeah and so probably so have other people and therefore you liked his ideas more yeah i placed him with someone who literally has no ideas yeah yeah it almost sounds like they canned him for some like there was some breach of protocol slash etiquette that they just canned him flat on. And, you know, the editor was like, okay, who do I know who can actually work fast um, and fit certain requirements? And who knows what those requirements are? The crazy thing is, do you remember when the new 52 launched? Mm -hmm. The books felt rushed. The majority of the books felt rushed. Yes. At the time, people said that. Mm Mm-hmm. Like, well, everyone will settle in. And you'd think from that, DC would learn, let's try and actually factor in some time to get these things. <laughs> but see, that's the problem. Let's can people nine weeks before the book launches. The New 52 was their largest success in, like, years, if not of the... Yeah, but it wasn't a large success because of... Well, but the, they don't, they never look the at it like that. Those you, I mean, but that's their thing. Their thing is, is like, if it was, you know, it's not, it, but their their idea was like, well, it didn't impede anything, you know, 
And it just sounds, I mean, it sounds like DC editorial is kind of running rampant from all this other stuff, at least the the word sort of floating, you know, on the down low. By the down low, I mean, I guess I'm bleeding cool, you know? It just sounds like DC is like, we've got this. We totally have this. And nothing could be absolutely farther from the truth. And as I recall, like, uh, when from what I remember, because I wasn't following Marvel at the time, doesn't in in Marvel Comics the Untold Story doesn't Sean Howe, while sort of chronicling that stuff, talk about how the Bob Harris Marvel was very much a top down kind of thing? Yeah. You know? So it's it's the form of management that he prefers, and again, it got results then, and it looked like it got results with, or at least it didn't impede results with the launch of the new Fifty Two, and so they're just they're just hell bent for leather. I mean, you know. And again, they've got this stuff where it's like when you have something like Death of the Family that is propping up such a huge chunk of sales. You know what I mean? Like everything is reinforcing DC's worst habits at this point. Um, it's pretty much everything. So Yeah. It, it But it's such – I don't know. I feel DC is in this really terrible place. Oh, yeah, like, completely. Like this, this – if it were a friend, there would be intervention place. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah, I, yeah, yeah. No, it's. I went to the comic store yesterday, and I had a whole bunch of books to catch up on, and I kind of had this thing, you know, because I have this weird. I still buy into this sort of, um, uh, I don't know, you know, binary uh, com- comic book thinking of like, I'm reading all these Marvel books for, for you know, for free because. Uh, awesome listeners to this podcast send me along the digital codes, but I'm pretty well aware that considering I went from somebody who was not supporting Marvel to being in this odd situation of like, you know, support Marvel. Well, I'm promoting Marvel if I'm not necessarily supporting it because I'm talking about their books. You and I are for good or bad in a way that people might be like, Oh, well I want to check this out. And I really was like, so I was in the store and I was like, God damn it. I've got to pick up something from DC you know, apart from, you know, because I had like the 16th issues of Action and Batman. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to pick those up. But I need to pick something else up so that I have a sense of, and God help me, Graham, the only thing I could make myself pick up (laughs) was Batman and Robin, which, you know, is like, I mean, I might as well just be not picking, you know what I mean? Like, admittedly, I picked that up because I'd read the previous issue and I thought Pat Gleason's art had been amazing. So I'm like, okay, I will I'll pick, the, but literally looking at everything else, it just seemed so. It either seemed incredibly uninspired, or it just sort of screamed out like not my thing, you know? Like, yeah, it's it, it's kind of amazing. I I as you know, um, or would consider myself to be a heavily DC reader, mm-hmm. and I am inspired by almost nothing there. Mm-hmm. Nah. Mm-hmm. And like these are characters that I used to feel. I don't know, affinity with or, mm-hmm. or affection for. Right. And I don't even feel that anymore. Yeah. It, it And it does remind me in that sense of when I was in the 90s and I just sort of drifted away from the big two, except for, you know, like some Vertigo stuff or some, you know, I, and I spent a lot of time reading indie stuff. It's like I look at the covers and I mean, and there are some truly astonishingly atrocious covers out there, but I just look at the DC covers and it just kind of all vaguely feels like, don't you feel like you're looking at soda cans? Like there's just something that's just so flat about everything. 
and kind of over logoized. Um, in fact, Hibbs was showing off the the cover of uh, Threshold Presents the Hunted. Did you see that? Have you seen I, that first? Not session? only did I see that, I read it. I got it through the mail. Oh my god! With uh, which has one, two, three, four logos on the front. Four that's not, logos. That's not including the DC Comics logo. Yeah, yeah. You basically have the main characters on that book being threatened by logos and there's something that is just so like that's a huge error like i'm like what happened there that made you decide that you needed four or five logos on there but here's the thing it's not just that book yeah but it's also not just logos i mean if you look at the cover of batman and robin 16 Mm -hmm. there is far too much type on there and it all competes with itself i mean for example madness runs in the family which is the tagline on the bottom yes is in three different fonts mm-hmm. yes you're right like you're... that's five words mm-hmm. five words in three different fonts yeah. yeah and never mind five you also have the creator credits and the logo and the new 52 logo and the batman of the uh, death of the family logo yeah yeah exactly exactly like that is and that makes for an insanely busy cover even before you get the art on there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. yeah they need to at the very least it's time for them to drop that new 52 logo which i think it, is it really is right do. i mean it's yeah. just but i mean compare that with the batman cover or the Batgirl cover for that matter because i also got mailed that which mm-hmm. has which has no cover text beyond the or uh, that's not true it's no tagline it still has death of the family logo batman logo new 52 logo and dc comics logo yeah but they also make it you know at least batman the the yeah it's the bulk of the graphic is it's the art yeah and and is better for that you know yes yeah. But yeah, no, there's a weird thing going on with with all this stuff where it's like more, more, and more type treatments. Like, we need this to look more hey, exciting. Do you know they... Sorry, on you go. No, 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 no. It needs to look more exciting, I think. Uh, I feel that DC has always been a fan of the cover blurb. Mm-hmm. Or it's much more than, than uh, Marvel. Well, yeah, because, I mean, Marvel went through that horrible period where they just totally... Just you know, did the pinup part covers? Yeah, you know? every single every single cover would be a, a character jumping out of the reader, mm-hmm. no matter what was inside. <laughs> um, but so DC's always had the like, you know, who is dot 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 Jeff Lester question mark or whatever on the cover, right? But I feel like it used to be better, I guess. Oh, it used to be much better. This is really bad, and I think in part of it is because you used to have, I mean. Even after the word balloons disappeared off covers, which, frankly, I kind of dug those, um, you at least had the, you know, yeah, where walks the predilector. And it was just that. You didn't have the creator things, and you didn't have, like, co... Like, if you had, like, guest starring Green Arrow, you did not... You didn't put in, like, Arrow's own, you know, special font you know it just wasn't worth that much i guess you know so yeah i think the thing that's a shame is and this may just be sort of my awareness of todd klein or whatever i just always assume that like dc like their cover logos and certainly for a they they believed more in type on the covers they like you said they were just more committed to it they they seemed to work harder to have great you know they seem to pride themselves on their logos and now it just kind of feels like i don't know it just it feels like watching a it, like one of those robots in the, in the herbie hancock video just kind of go berserk 
you know? Yeah, I'm not, it's just, it's not even the, the logos as much as, like you said, the typography, the design. There used mm-hmm. to be a design consciousness. Mm-hmm. There really see? did. Mm-hmm. And now there isn't. Now there are interns who recognize that there is such a thing as a typeface. Right. Right. Well, and it's so easy now. I mean, that whole, you know, madness runs in the family, you know, back in the old, back in the old days when that had to be like a hand logo, hand lettered thing, you know, it was pretty unlikely that you were going to use three different ones. But now if you just, you know, if you type it out and then you run it through all the different logo fonts that you have, you know what I mean? Like, yeah, it's almost, it's, and, and there's also the whole thing. Obviously, part of the problem is is that when you have like the new fifty two reminding that you that you're tied into the new fifty two line, and that the death of the family is tied into the death of the family crossover. You know, there's just you're just trying to. There's just too much information going on there in a way that yeah, it's, is it's, unnecessary. I remember um, before the new fifty two, mm-hmm. it was an issue of. Uh, James Robinson's Justice League of America, mm-hmm. which tied into two crossovers at once. Do you remember that? It was um, it was uh, it wasn't two crossovers. It was two storylines. It was the Justice League own storyline, Rise of Eclipso, right. and the Reign of Doomsday storyline that was running in Superman books at the same time. Mm-hmm. And I remember the time thinking, are they going to have both of the cover cover treatments on this this comic? <laughs> are they somehow going to say like Reign of Doomsday and? Right. Day of Eclipso or whatever it's called, Rise of Eclipso. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and sadly, they didn't. I think they went with the Doomsday one. I could be wrong. Mm-hmm. But it was just very, just it was just very weird. Yeah. Well, I mean, the great news is if they ever do anything like that again, you can be sure they'll have both of those. Yeah, exactly. There will be varying covers. Yeah. It'll be like which co- which it could be even be, and I could really imagine this sadly the same cover art mm-hmm. with different type treatment. And they're like, which one do you want to prefer? <laughs> oh, God. Yeah. It's, it's kind of terrifying, isn't it? It kind of is. It kind of is. Because, yeah, it really just is, um, you know, it, it it's it's everything that we sort of, I, I think a lot of people worried was going to happen pretty much from the time that, that Levitt stepped down and you started to get the the new creative trust was just like, oh, God, you know. Marvel is already running amok. What happens if DC runs amok? And yeah, it's kind of sad because it really does feel that the everyone's worst case scenario for when Paul Levitt's left mm-hmm. is really slowly coming true. Oh yeah, yeah. It took it took longer, and in fact, there was such a delay. It was like, oh okay, because you know, there's that first year of things being put in place. You're like, oh, okay, maybe this isn't going to be so bad. But you know, it's it's fascinating. DC is very much like when. Um, you know, your super nerdy dad has a nervous breakdown. I mean, a midlife crisis, and it's like four times more embarrassing than a regular midlife crisis. You know, it's like, no, dad, you're the reliable one, you know, while he's like, and now he's just doing donuts in the driveway, you know, uh, in, in a Trans Am with like hookers in the backseat. And it's just like, you've got to, you've got to get yourself together. You've just got to stop, you know, and it's shame. It's a shame. I've gone through so much that I'm like, I don't expect much from Marvel. And so consequently, they almost like you can almost pretend that they have their shit together. Like, you know, they don't, but you can almost pretend. Well, yeah, that's just it. They almost get a free pass. I I was talking I was talking to another comics professional <laughs> this week 
um, who was bitching about the fact that uh, Marvel announced their their Thanos series with oh, Jason yeah. and uh, mm. Simon Bianchi, mm-hmm. which is quite clearly the same Thanos series that Joe Keating and Richard Elson were doing. Right. Like, really obviously. Mm-hmm. And they're like, how come no one is calling, T- uh, calling Marvel in this? Like, why is no one being like, this is like you clearly pulled these other two guys off this book and then gave it to two bigger names. Like, why is why is no one making a big deal about this? And my response was genuinely, I think that's what we expect Marvel to do now. Well, part of it is that we expect that's what Marvel would do. But I do remember at the time, how do I put it? I honestly felt like they more, I mean, they didn't come right out and say it. I mean, frankly, you know, Steve Wacker came, you know, did the whole like, oh, I was off on vacation and I came back and things had gotten a little out of hand. And it was my mistake uh, to let things get out of hand. And it really seems more like it was his mistake to actually okay the project or this was just his version of falling on the sword, which is that that Marvel was like, yeah, we have to do we have to do this project. Let's sign it up with these people and then, you know, they saw the numbers of what was happening as far as Infinity Gauntlet sales after the Avengers movies. And they were like, OK, wait, 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 we did this wrong. You know, we need to do a do over. But from how do I put this? It wasn't quite at the same level of when DC scraps, you know, someone else. And in fact, there's also this thing of like, it's very hard to call Marvel on it when, you know, that team got an ongoing book out of it. Whether or not it'll actually sell is one thing. But when you look at Jim Zub and he's like, yeah, I'm kind of bummed, but what can you do? And it's like, what have I got in the future? Nothing. I'm finishing up a digital one shot for them. But you know what I mean? Like back in the day, like uh, what was that book? The the Mark Badger and Bagley book that got something they, they was it a, was it a Batman book they got canceled or was it a mini series of theirs that got solicited and then they canceled it and they were given a, a Batman book to make up for, for it in a no hard feelings kind of way? Do you know what I'm talking I, about? I totally have no idea what you're talking about. Okay. Well, it was, wait, did I say, who did I say? Bagley and Badger? You- yeah, he's just a Bagley Badger, which first of all really confused me. But I also right. can't think I can't think of any other I can't think of any team that it was that Gerard Jones and Mark Badger who've worked together and they had that series they had like a mini series about a trumpeteer or a jazz trumpeteer or something like that. And I don't remember they I swear to God they had they had a problem where either the issue had to be redrawn or it was scrapped or it had to go back to press. And I remember they got a Batman either an Elseworlds or a one-shot out of it as a way for the company to kind of make up for the the, the screw-up, you know? That's still that, not that's right about. kind of amazing. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I, I see, I very, I want to say distinctly, but considering I have so few details, I do remember that in a way that makes me think but, I didn't make it up. But Okay, but here's the thing. When Keating and Elson got taken off of... Thanos... Thanos, or mm-hmm. when Thanos disappeared. Yes. They didn't say, they didn't, it wasn't immediately, we've got more work for them. They didn't get the series immediately. Right. So, I mean, for all we know, they, like, DC could do the same thing. Jim's up could turn around tomorrow and be like, and now I have a new project. Right. And I think it's very possible that one of the reasons that he's not bad-mouthing them 
is in the hopes that that will happen. But there's a difference between in the think? hopes and and it's a in the bag sort of situation. You know what I mean? Like I feel like, you know, Keating and Wacker both said like, yeah, it was a screw up, but I'm not. You know, we're. You know, Wacker said we're making amends to make sure that those guys. You know, to make it up to those guys. And Keating's like, it's all good. You know, they're giving us something else. I'm really excited about. You know, they said that relatively flat up at, at the time. And to me, that's just a completely different situation from, well, if I keep my mouth shut, uh, I'll get more work, considering one of the rumors going around is, is that DC, after the whole Gil Simone situation, is like, if you want to work for us again, you will not discuss being taken off the books, really, in any way, other than I look forward to more opportunities. Like, if you really want to look forward to more opportunities, you have to. Exactly. If you really do look forward to more opportunities, you know what side your bed is buttered on. My exactly. Mind. Exactly. So it does strike me as a little bit. I mean, I could be, I could be different. It could be all these like you know, digital comics are going to my head. But I do feel that in one of those, it feels like a slightly different contour situation because I remember very early. Now, if it had been one of those situations where the Thanos project had been announced, Keating and Nelson had still yet to do anything, then I, I, I would. I would hope that people would be kind of like, hey, what's going on, you know? But I do feel, and maybe this is mistaken, that it's just a it's a slightly different situation that I have to give. Oh, no, I, when I, uh, I don't think it was being asked in a, this is analogous to the Jim's Up thing. I mm -hmm. think it was just being asked in the, this is, this is an interesting thing and is quite clearly a swap of creative teams. Right. Yeah. Like not yeah, a, yeah. Mm -hmm. it's just the same as much as a, this is weird. This is weird. But, like, because... Yeah. Like, very few people did come right out and say, this is the thing that Joe Keating was working on. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Right. Well, right. That is true. Is it just that like, people don't care? <laughs> well, yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I maybe I could be wrong. I mean, that's actually a really good point. I just, and that could be, I mean, at that part, it kind of becomes trivia, don't you think? I mean, I could be wrong, but like, you know, the history. Until someone hits it big and you find out later, like, oh, shit, like Jack Kirby was supposed to do The Prisoner and didn't? That's amazing. Like, otherwise, it's it's not like having a project that just gets killed. Um, apart from the fact that it got killed initially, I don't think that it I think it would just seem a little weird to be going on later, you know, and being like, hey, everybody, you know, poke, poke. I mean, I am surprised. Like, I would think that... Um, well, did you mention it in your in it? Did you do a blog ad entry on it? Did you? Yep. Well, see, and this is my thing: is like I can't see where someone would, for want of needing something to talk about on on an entry, say like this. You know, this project, even though it's just being announced now, already has a checkered past. Or as you can see, it's clear that Marvel really decided to you know supersize, you know, the name. Uh, marquee value of the talent working on this project, I suppose. But, you know, but not in any other sort of, I, I really can't imagine, in other words, unless you're trying to get the column inches out of it, I don't really see where it's... There's there's not a there there. Yeah, there's, I, at least to me, and I could totally be wrong, but that's my take on it. It just feels, it feels pretty there-less. Um, whereas I'm sure there's other shit that's, you know, probably profoundly interesting. Um did you did you see Bleeding Cool number two? I did not. I've actually not been to the store this week. I am you this week. Oh, I see. Well, I am once again uh, me. I have read I read shitloads of digital stuff, but I haven't read oh. um, 
I haven't read anything store wise. Mm-hmm. Well, this 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 may be an interesting podcast comparison and contrast wise. Uh, but we uh, still have the questions, Jeff. We're doing questions. Oh, dude, I know. I, what? I, I'm just saying uh, we're doing questions. I know we're doing questions, but you know me. I'm going to try and drag it out by asking you what you talked. Anyway. Bleeding Cool had some stuff about like the had their little section on on you know comic feuds, which was hilarious because honestly those feuds are if you took like three people out of it, <laughs> like half the feuds disappeared. It's like huh, so you're saying that John Byrne will pretty much get in a fight with anybody, you know, kind of thing. So it's like hardly news. I don't know why I was going to bring it up. I think apart from the whole Darwin Cook, um, Axel Alonso thing, which I. Were you from? Were you acquainted with this? This whole yes. yeah, I, I want to say Rich has actually run something about that on the site. It's probably true. I I I sort of like, huh? If I knew this, it was such a long time ago that I forgot. For listeners not knowing what we're talking about, one of Rich's things on the famous comic book feuds is Darwin Cook and Axel Alonso apparently being on the outs because Cook basically put together a proposal for a Marvel all ages line. Um, you know, and presented it to, to Alonzo, who was like, oh, that's nice and interesting. And then um, basically after turning Cook down like six months later, the Marvel Adventures All Ages line got put into place, more or less, you know, without giving Cook any compensation or credit or anything. So, um, and I don't really know why I mentioned that either, other than just kind of the... <laughs> Is this the craziness of your cleanse coming into play? I hope not, Graham. I'm hoping I've got something here. Work with me. I think that it might be over the, again, the idea of like where where the there there is on a story can be like really interesting, you know, in the sense of, you know, it's a project that didn't come together. What's notable about it is the idea that there's still bad blood lingering on after the case, yeah. you know? No, I, th- I think that's definitely true. I think that you could... You can make the case that lots of projects don't happen for whatever reason. Yeah. And that if there's any there, there, it, the, the, there is the why didn't it? Yeah. Why didn't it? Or if the fallout is something other than, you know, otherwise it's just an interesting thing that's, that a pro gets to mention on a panel like 15 years later and everyone goes, ooh. It's not as heartbreaking as that uh, Mark Wade almost taking over DC Comics news. Uh, in the comics reporter interview with him, that's truly heartbreaking. Yeah, it really is. Because then you were just like, but think of then and oh. <laughs> I mean, and it's fascinating to me. Like, I would think that DC would be a very different place, but or would it? You know what I mean? Like that kind of weird, like you know. Oh, would I? I think it, I, I, can't I would like even, to believe that. I can't it imagine. Would. I can't imagine a reality where it would be the same place. Yeah. Just because I I think that Wade is such a different person. Well, Wade's a different person, but sometimes I do wonder, you know, like how, how, who's, you know, who's actually driving the bus sometimes? Like, I guess, I guess Harris really is driving that particular bus, but sometimes it seems like in those upper echelons, it's like, yeah, you've got a guy who decides who gets hired, but they may not be the person who's deciding what the directions of the books are, what the direction of the universe is. Yeah, but here's the difference that I think would have happened. Mm-hmm. Even if Didio and Lee are behind all the current direction mm-hmm. and they force it through against Wade's, you know, 
approval. Right. I think Wade would either make such a stink about it or would quit, which would cause such focus to be on it right. that they would change their minds. Right. Yeah. I, I would like to believe that that's, I'd like to believe that's the case. I feel mostly that that is because I feel like Mark Wade, largely a stand-up guy. But there's also part of me is like, oh, man, it's just such huge. Uh, sometimes I feel like the machinery is so big that even the biggest cog that you can imagine, you know, sometimes I just wonder how much control they really have which to me is part of the reason why dc now looks like a fucking hog on ice you know um anywho uh okay so hey this has been 40 minutes of non-crashy microphone um oh you you only think that shit were there period were there more periods where you couldn't hear me there's periods where i couldn't hear you at all but i was like just go along with it oh son of a bitch graham don't tell me that i mean all right well or rather, let's put it this way. All the better, ladies and gentlemen, that we come back in a few and continue, I think. <laughs> I like your, your uh, second version, Jeff. It was good. <laughs> your, your cleaned up version. Thank you. <laughs> ladies and gentlemen, we're going to take a technical break. Yes. Um, and then when we come back, I might be able to hear every sentence Jeff says instead of every second sentence. Welcome back, Jeff Lester. Thank you, Graham. Welcome back to you. Thanks. We'll see how long this lasts this time before everything goes completely wrong. Indeed. Since you can type without, you know, it sounding like the world is falling apart, perhaps you can send me an email or a message when it ceases to. Saying, Jeff, I can't hear you. Yeah. What? What are you saying? What? Yes. Um, so tell me about these digital comic books of whence you speak. Okay, well, the digital comic books of whence I speak are actually fairly minimal this week. Mm. I read um, New Avengers, sorry, New Avengers issue two. Oh, I did too. Uh, did you read issue one? I did. Is the summary of what happens in issue one slightly more explanatory in issue two than what you than what you understood, or is it just me? Oh yeah, I I read issue two and I was like. Oh, that's what happened. Yeah, oh. I'm, I'm glad that's not just me. Because honestly, I was like, really? I mm. did not. I did not get any of that from actually reading the comic. I'm so glad you've just explained it to me. Yeah. Oh, well, me too. Because and in fact, I actually had one of those classic like, you know what? This second issue should have been the fucking first issue, and then they could have media rest some of that shit. Because like by dragging it out and out and out, I mean, who knows? Maybe the other like Black Panther junior pantherettes the huey dewey and louis of the 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 black panther league would have will make some difference in the future but as it is like reading this premise i'm like okay so not only did you explain it poorly in the first issue but the second issue finally has the explanations as to why we should come back i guess for a third issue you know what i mean and additionally i was also very crabby because well, once again, I'm very crabby about Jonathan Hickman because there's a variety of things where I'm like, oh, this is 
interesting. It makes no sense. I guess there's part of it is the problem that there's kind of this idea that Hickman actually knows science, I guess, which I really suspect is not the case. You know, I, yeah, I, I'm afraid I don't believe Hickman knows science, having uh, read his comics where he displays his science knowledge. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And I, yeah, I find I now that I find it hard to believe. Here's what thing I think happens: Hickman knows enough science, but not enough to be convincing. Yeah. He knows enough to make people who know no science mm-hmm. be like, oh, he's probably right. Mm-hmm. Right. But, right. But not enough to actually make sense. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So there was stuff that he was talking about, like, you know, the, the in the second issue, the whole explanation of the threat of what's happening, which everyone seems absurdly. I mean, first off, it's, you know, it's a lot of exposition. But also I kind of had this feeling of like, Wait, here's all, you know, several of the smartest minds in the Marvel Universe, and they're pretty much going like, well, so this is going to happen, and then this is going to happen, and that probably means it this is, is going to happen. No, but it's true. It really is a problem. For, mm-hmm. Because, again, if you believe that these are the same characters you've been reading about for all these years, the idea that they're like, so, we're powerless to stop this, okay. Right. Yeah, like, exactly. They're all no like, sense. Mm-hmm. like, but no, that's that's literally the opposite of what these guys do. Right. Well, and for me, Graham, and this is one of the things that I think is kind of weird and silly is is like, so, uh, you and and <laughs> listeners, I would say spoilers, except I can't really imagine anything more boring. I'm just revealing the plot, so I don't really think that that's actually a spoiler. But essentially, if you are worried about that. You might want to tune out for a little bit because the plot of the grand plot of New Avengers 2 is they talk about how in the infinite universes, um, essentially the destruction of one has essentially uh, caused um, them to collapse in on each other. And when they collapse in on each other, it eradicates both universes and then thus hastening the whole factor. That's your understanding too, right, Graham? Yeah, it's it's that one universe was destroyed, and in yeah. doing so, it set a cascade in process, which will destroy all of the Earths. Yes. Because the Earths are the connective point parts of the multiverse. Right. Every parallel universe is connected to each every other parallel universe, or rather, its neighbor parallel universes yes. from its Earth. So yes. if you destroy one, you therefore destroy the next, etc., yes. etc. But also, there's the ridiculous eight-hour window. Oh, yeah. I mean, that's silly. That is just, I mean, that is just, okay, that's silly. Um, but also the thing that I found that was weird is it definitely seemed like it was almost like a, a domino chain, you know, or, um, I don't know, a metronome or something. Basically, I was like, wait a minute. So the woman who who blew up the other Earth to save our Earth or and, and therefore that uh, prevented that other universe from destroying the Marvel 616 universe, part of me was like, doesn't that mean that it stops? You know what I mean? Like, I kind of had that weird, like, well, it's not going to keep, the domino chain isn't still falling, except they're still making it sound like it could happen at any minute. And I'm like... Well, that, no, but that's just it. What they basically say is, even destroying that universe doesn't matter. Mm-hmm. Because once the Earth's, once one Earth appears visible to the other earth it is in process right right no matter what so it's got nothing to do with the destruction of the earths it for some reason is just if you can see another earth 
then you're fucked. Oh, I see. So what they're saying is even though she prevented the Earth from colliding with the Earth, the universes are still in conflict, and there's like still eight hours. The universes are still colliding. Oh, okay, I didn't understand. I figured they were just worried about when the next one comes along, and I'm like, what? That seems dumb. Well, I, that's... That was my understanding. Maybe I'm wrong. No, yours is dramatic and makes sense as to why they're saying the stupid bullshit that they then go on to say. Whereas mine was just like, mm, like you guys really dodged a bullet that time. Uh, you know, <laughs> you know, I don't, good also, job, guys. It was a good yeah. job. Yeah. And also there was sort of that weird thing of like, and uh, so, you know, again, I'm like, I'm not really sure that, you know, either one of us, either Jonathan Hickman or me, is really unclear about what the concept of infinite means. You know what I mean? Like, I was like, mm. It means whatever it's supposed to mean at that point in the story, Jeff. Yeah, very much so. Very much so. So, yeah, I on the one hand, I thought that issue two was better than issue one in the sense that it made sense. On the other hand, it seemed like a lot of pages, especially considering all it was doing was jamming, uh, hey, we've got one impossible dilemma on our hands, and it's going to mean that we have to make some tough choices, you know, which... No, but you also then had the, like, the flash forward while Tony Stark is talking. And right. I also didn't understand Tony Stark in this story. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Like there's there's actual bits of narrative where I just didn't understand the part where everyone's identifying themselves and then Tony Stark is like, I'm not going to take part of this. I am Tony Stark. I'm Iron Man. And all of a sudden, like three little confirmed, 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 from confirmed. I'm like, what? what so is, you did? But he's doing that. Yeah. Like I didn't understand that. Yeah. I was like, is that meant to be like Iron Man's armor confirming? Yeah, I don't. I don't. I don't like. like I did. I didn't it, understand. No, it was badly told. And also, there was also just that weird narrative, what the fuckness of like, why are you having your characters introduce yourselves like 15 pages into the second issue? You know what I mean? I was just like, that's just not good. Like, I mean, maybe that'll read better in a trade, but it just seemed ridiculous. Even with the whole thing of like, whoa, we've been infiltrated before, which I guess is a secret invasion comment. But I'm just like, also, there was just that weird thing of like, Hickman goes to great lengths to set up this thing that that, that it's a, it's an audio confirmation and one of the people can't talk, you know? Like, Black Bolt can't say anything. Someone's like, oh, he's Black Bolt. is like, confirmed. Like, what the <laughs> fuck are you? Like, this is bullshit, you know? Like, oh, audio confirmation. Wait, he can't talk. Oh, man, I'm fucked now. I'm, I'll just have someone else say it. Like, how would that convince anyone? Like, oh, clearly it's not an infiltrator because someone else said he wasn't. The fuck? So, yeah, I mean, come on. Basically, that would be my... If I had to have a two-word two review of New Avengers 2, it's like, come on, you know? Like, and it's a shame because in a way, I kind of felt like, um, you know, ever since Bendis set up the first Illuminati story, I'm like, okay, so what's coming is this and now that they finally got around to doing this i'm like really this is so loaded with like just give this to me kind of plot turns that i'm just like mm. yeah. it was it was not it was not what i would call a successful comic book issue although I son of a bitch they're fucking marvel don't you feel like you're in like the veal fattening pen or something like that I feel like I'm a goddamn goose, you know, getting ready to have his liver cut out. Because every time I turn around, 
there's another four titles being shoved down my gullet. Like, these books are coming out <laughs> all the fucking time. Like, I really was. I was like, New Avengers 2. Like, I was like, didn't the first one come out, like, I don't know, two weeks ago? Like, I, I guess that's what they mean by their accelerated printing schedule. But I'm just like, some of this shit feels like barely a week old. And it just seems, I'm not, not only am I not sure that it's doing them any favors, but I'm also kind of having this weird, I don't know, you know, Things are being forced down my gullet sensation of like, you know, I, I guess I could like choose not to read this book for another two weeks and have a whole month between issues. But it's weird. I mean, I think there are times when it works. Like I read, you know, uh, All New X-Men number five last week and then I read All New X-Men number six this week. And I kind of have that like, oh, I'm on board i guess you know or or rather it sort of feels like hey <laughs> the secret to combating brian bendis's you know terrible momentum problems is if you put it out every week it does almost feel like manga where something's happening all the time you know and it's kind of like you just have to wait for next week to get your little you know one thing that happens per issue but i'm like i don't know marvel's weirding me out is what i'm saying they're kind of creeping me out. Are are they creeping you out to the point where you want to quit again? Well, but see, this is it. I'm in this weird zone where, and this is going to sound really crappy, but you know, I think I started after reading those first that first week where I was like, "Yeah, I really want to read this stuff," you know, and 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 then, and then the second week, I'm like, "Oh, I'm not going to read this. Damn it!" Now I'm I'm just in a weird zone. Like I have to say, out of I, I only, uh, thanks to the, to the miracle of, of two faithful whatnots, I got four Marvel Now books uh, this week. And I only really wanted to read one, of, one and a half of them. I'm sort of half on board with all new X-Men. And I wanted to see Captain America number three. Like, I was kind of excited about it for, for, for reasons I still can't figure out. You know what I mean? Because it's so, it's so, it's, did you read Captain America number three? Did you I jump off after issue? I didn't even read number two. I was so put off left by... cold by number one. I was just like, I don't, I'm not bothered. I'm really like, I feel I could <laughs> very happily and very easily miss this. Yeah. And it's, it's a shame because it's, you, reading issues two and three, I'm like, okay, so it's Rick Remender and it's John Romita Jr. doing like late Kirby Captain America. And even in this whole weird dimension Z thing in the third issue, there's stuff where I'm like, oh yeah, okay, this is this lines up very neatly. Like it's basically like remember the, the Captain America story where he basically gets stuck on, you know, uh Arnim Zola and Red Skull's Monster Island, basically. It's that, except it's a whole <coughs> dimension but with all these weird, strange things. And it does have, like, you know, one of the things that I always find interesting about um, Jack Kirby's Captain America, when it's just Jack Kirby, is Jack Kirby is very much about portraying Captain America as a guy who basically is has an indomitable spirit, but basically gets the shit kicked out of him a lot. You know what I mean? Like, there's yeah. a lot in that later Kirby stuff where he's being knocked down, where he's being punched, where he's, like, lying on the ground. He's like, I can't move. You know, he, you know, they finish the story with him basically fighting the Red Skull while blind, right? And it's 
if you ever read the Stanley Jack Kirby Captain Americas, it's fascinating because Stanley cannot stand the idea of that with Captain America. Like every other panel, like when Captain America is about to get, you know, he gets like hit from behind with a pistol, you know, Lee always puts in these, you know, thought balloons, like someone behind me, my only chance is to go numb and, you know, roll with the, with the, with the blackjack sapping the back of my head. Like if I just let myself get hit by the car, everyone will think that I've been knocked unconscious and then I can like, you know, turn the tables on them. Whereas like, you know, Jack Kirby just had Captain America get the shit kicked out of him. One of the things I'm finding fascinating is even though Rick Remender uh, uh, is having Captain America get the shit kicked out of him in issues two and three of of this Captain America arc, I kind of don't like it, I guess, because there's such a part of it is, you know, at least with Kirby, he's going to turn the table like two pages later as opposed to, oh, we're going to turn the pages two issues later, I guess. But uh, part the other part of it for me is is that Rick Remender writes everything so that it feels like it's it's uh, Frank Miller's Batman getting the shit kicked out of him rather than than Captain America, you know? Like there's a lot of like must break my own hand to free myself from the gauntlet, crazy old man. You're lucky. Quick, hit him, hit him, and I'm just like that's. You've just made that sound like Frank Miller's Captain America. Well, yeah, I mean, it's Frank Miller's Batman being Captain America. But yeah, it's the same thing, you know. And I'm just kind of like, you know, I guess back in the day, if you'd given me Frank, well, even I guess when Frank Miller does, did do Captain America, he did something a little bit different. I was going to say he never did him, but I remember he pops up in Born Again. Did he write him? I thought he just... Uh, In Born Again. In Born Again, uh, remember, there's that whole thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're you're totally right. Yeah, but he refers to him as the soldier. So he actually goes the extra... He he pushes him at a distance, which he can do since it's not his book. You know, it's it's Daredevil's book, but it's kind of an interesting approach. Um, Yeah, so I just had that weird moment where I'm like... I don't know. So it's weird. It's weird for me that I'm like, yeah, Captain America number three. I like the art, but the quality of the suffering is not what I would want. You know, it's like I feel weirdly Caligulesque uh, saying that. All of which is to say, I, I wish I could convey how much of Marvel I'm reading out of a sort of sense of obligation for the podcast and kind of like, if we talk about it, there are things that I can say, you know, as opposed to if people wanting to read yeah as opposed to wanting to read like i'm in a pretty good stage where you know like i said with the digital comics that i'm getting every week i want to read those or even a lot of the stuff that i went to the store and picked up i'm like you know i mean the difference between saying that i want to read marvel as opposed to you know saying i want to read saga is notable because i really do want to read saga and that fucking issue was great so Mm -hmm. You know, um, yeah. Oh, okay. Uh, thank you. <laughs> See, I might as well just have told you after the sound that made. Well, okay, but but maybe what, not. What happened, listeners, is I just sent Jeff a message telling him that it's cutting out again. I was trying to do so really subtly, not realizing his volume's on in his computer. You know, so that's bloop. You just uh, heard was me. Yeah. <laughs> They don't know. They don't know. Maybe they, they thought I was. Know. 
maybe they thought I was sexting, which would explain why I'm fading out every second sentence and half my thoughts seem sort of awkward. What a truly together. disturbing thought. Thanks for giving me that, Jeff. <laughs> Always glad to help, Graham. Anyway, yeah, so let, it, do I sound better now? Because I'm starting to think that I was rocking back and forth when I was talking. Uh, you sound better now, but you may, like, just start cutting out every second sentence again. Right. But I guess what I'm trying to say is maybe if I strap myself to this chair, what happened to our podcast? I remember the early days when it just seemed like we were... I remember know, we could just talk. Yeah. Yeah, we could just, you know, and now that I've got this, like, highfalutin software that doesn't allow me to, like, touch the desk... But doesn't pick up, you know, every second sentence. I don't know, Graham. I just don't know. So. It's a hard knock life, Jeff. <laughs> oh, well played. Well played. Other digital books? Uh, oh, so the other digital books, uh, The New Daredevil, which I think is issue 22. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I spent the rest of the evening reading the, uh, not even the official digital release, uh, an ARC, a digital ARC of the one trick ripoff oh the, yeah the, the new paul pope collection or rather the reissue of the old paul pope collection that yeah, has yeah, yeah. a shitload of new stuff at the back yeah i i bought that and have yet to crack it open it's kind of it's the... it's the shitload of stuff at the back that really just like it, it's it stole me away yeah i was like what's that you say 150 pages of paul pope's earliest comics mm-hmm. sure colored by jamie grant and dom reagan i'll definitely pay attention to that sure enough that was my night oh wow Wow. So, and it's good stuff, huh? I've got stuff to look for. It's really to interesting stuff. Mm. Um, in a weird way, some of his early stuff reminds me of some of his later stuff. Mm-hmm. It feels like there is a a lot of the early stuff. Something I really appreciate is he doesn't write it; he is illustrating poems or he's illustrating plays, mm. which mm. I find really nice. Mm-hmm. Um, but his line work seems really reminiscent of his most recent stuff, hmm. as opposed to. The one trick rip off and the super trouble stuff that's in there as well. Mm-hmm. There's a really strong manga influence, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. but I don't think it's really present in some of the really early stuff. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, and so it, it's really interesting to look at that from that. The colors are lovely, or at least they are in the digital version. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's 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 really interesting. It's very much uh, look at the growth of this comic artist. Mm-hmm. If that makes sense, like if the if all the backup material was released in a book in it by itself. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure I'd be like, yeah, you should. everyone should buy it. Right. But as essentially additional material in mm-hmm. a reissue of this book, I think it's great. Hmm. Okay. Well, that's, that's good to know. That's good to know. I'm, I'm looking forward to breaking it open. Pope is definitely one of those guys, to me, where even his dullest— And you've gone again. Uh, really? Okay, because I'm not rolling back and forth. Can you hear me now? I can hear you now, yeah. Okay. Huh. I was not rocking back and forth, so— Damn it! I would hate to think that this. Um, I wonder what the, I wonder what the arrangement is. Huh? It's weird. Um, I'm, maybe I'll just have to get a different headset and this whole like. Are you co- like? Am I coming through consistently the whole time? I'm not sounding weird. Yeah. No. At no point you sound consistently fine. It's got to be your microphone. Yeah, it must be, which is just a heartbreaker because I'm like, really? I sent this thing fucking in and blah 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 blah. Yeah, I'm gonna have to get a different arrangement here because that's. Bullshit. <sighs> okay. Um, Pope. Yes. Oh, I think my. I think he's even the most uh, dullest Paul, Paul Pope page is more interesting than a lot of stuff out there. So 
So I'm... It's funny. I, I'd actually had the digital ARC of this for a while. It's it, like it came out last week or something. Mm-hmm. Uh, but it was the news of Battling Boy that made me like, hey, I've got that book. I should right. read it. Right. You yeah, know? the Battling, Battling Boy. Boy finally coming out. Thank the Lord. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Now it is. Is it first second that's publishing that? First second is publishing and it's coming out in October. Wow. Okay. Okay. Well, Only years late. <laughs> Only seven or eight years after it was initially announced. Wow. Wow. Well, you know, God bless. If anyone could get away with that, it's probably Pope. So, um, I just it's hilarious, like what he's done in the meantime. Do you know mm-hmm. what I mean? Like, this was announced really in like 2005 or something, mm-hmm. and in the meantime, like he's done DC work. He's done like DKNY work. Mm-hmm. He's like designed a Grand Theft Auto game. Oh <laughs> so yeah, that like, sounded really fascinating. Probably so late because he's been doing all these other things. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, yeah, well, that, there is that. that. How it felt for for a second to be like, "Hey, Paul, you're you're way over schedule with this book." What's that? Oh, oh, you're doing a, a comic with JJ Abrams from Wired. Oh, that's okay. That's not annoying at all. I'm really, yeah, I'm really happy for you. <laughs> So, um, so those those were your were your digi comics. Yeah, I mean, I, otherwise things I read this week are things I got like in in the mail, which is the the threshold, the DC thresholds, the Batman and Robin, the Batman, Batgirl, and the Superboy from this week. So let me ask you something because I do have to say I sat down and read Batman sixteen, and then followed followed it up by Batman and Robin sixteen. Um, I didn't hear that at all. You totally disappeared. Really? God damn it. All right. Uh, uh, ask me your question quickly. Go. Uh, wait, why Why should I hurry? In case I cut out again? Yeah. No, no, no. We can't live in fear any longer, Graham. I tell you what. Um, let me jump. Like, this is short of our half hour mark. I'm going to jump. I'm going to unplug this motherfucking microphone. I'm going to plug in the loud, buzzy headset that I was using while this microphone was in the shop. Um, and we'll see if it's any better. Yeah, because as I recall, that one so- is sounds crappier, but it doesn't. I don't remember it cutting out when we were talking, like at all, at all. So, um, well, let's try that. Yeah, give me two or three minutes because I probably, in order to do this successfully, I need to reboot Skype and everything. And uh, I will talk to you uh, in a few. Bye. <laughs> This is driving me crazy. All right. Talk to you in a few. Let's try technology. Technology. Can you hear me? Yeah, you sound much better. Oh, interesting. Okay, well, I can hear you certainly, and the great thing about this is now I can put my hands on the desk and do all sorts of exciting things. So, hey! Hey! So I have to tell you, I just got an email from Marvel. Uh, We were recording this on Thursday afternoon, everyone. Just got an email from Marvel with their solicitations for April. Mm -hmm. Here is the solicitation, or the end of the solicitation for Age of Ultron issue 6, which will be released by the time this is coming out, so I'm not breaking embargo, really. Wow. Meanwhile, Wolverine takes it upon himself to make one of the most controversial decisions in the history of Marvel Comics, and you'll never believe who goes along with him. Three solicitations later, Wolverine and X-Men, issue 27 AU, an Age of Ultron tie-in, tie make sure you read issue 6 first, 
Wolverine and the Invisible Woman find themselves in the Avengers' past. <laughs> I I don't know. I wonder who goes along with Wolverine. Could it be the Invisible Woman? Ha! <laughs> <laughs> huh, you do have to wonder, don't you? Uh, I I will say this. Good news uh, for me is guess who's writing Avengers Assemble issue fourteen AU another Age of Ultron tie-in. Hmm. You're not even going to guess, are you? No, no. Al Ewing, our friend. Wait, what? Yep. Really? Yep. Dude, that's big news. I guess he hasn't it's... mentioned it anywhere, huh? Well, I guess because it's not, like, allowed yet. It's still... Wow. Yeah, I'm, I'm very happy for him. I think yeah. that's great. Yeah, that's fantastic news. Good, good on just... you, Al. At least until the brain parasites come and they scoop out your eyes with, like, you know, silver spoons to... Uh, you know, as proper repayment for letting you work for them. <laughs> On that pleasant note, we have like 45 minutes left in this podcast. I'm going to say we do questions. Nope. We're talking comics, but very quickly. So, Batman Go. 16 and Batman and Robin 16. I have to say, man, part of it may be that my brain doesn't, uh, because of Marvel Comics, like anything that came out longer than two weeks ago, I don't really remember anymore now. Because why should it? I barely remembered Batman 15. I remember there was shit with the Joker and they were going to have a showdown. Issue 16 of both Batman and Batman and Robin were some of the most fucked up things I think I've ever read. Just like... Oh, I, you should have read Batgirl, my friend. You unfucked up? <laughs> really? Okay. So, oh, yeah. so Batgirl is 16 is essentially uh, Barbara Gordon being like, yeah, so I really want to fucking kill the Joker. I really want to fucking kill the Joker. I'm not joking. I want to fucking kill the Joker. Oh, look, I can kind of almost kill the Joker. No, I'm almost dead. Really? Yeah. Wow. Wow. Well, yeah, so there's levels of that. There, I guess there, there's that. There's That sounds disturbing because it's actually tied to the character stuff. Batman 16 and Batman and Robin 16, I just found... Well, okay, especially 16, like the previous issue, the art is so gaudy and grotesque. Like, I really was... Batman or Batman and Robin? Batman and Robin. I'm going to mention Batman and Robin 16. Because Batman 16 was more of a, like, what the fuck? Like, flipping through it, I guess the thing that disturbed me, it wasn't like... The shit that was fucked up about it was I really felt like it seemed crazily disjointed from itself and also from my memories of what issue 15 were like it almost feels like in order to do each of the issues in between you know um batman for you know uh, uh, snyder has taken takes this weird approach of like jumping forward and then starting with this we- like a weird opening and then just trying to keep things going even more weird like I just issue 16 just seems so weirdly um, contextless like I knew the greater context of the crossover but it's that weird like everything's being mentioned in such weird specificity and you get such weird fucking things happening that I just I was really I was really caught by it I was really struck I was like this is surreal kind of horrifying and kind of um how do I put it? Like, kind of nouveau Bob Haney-ish. You know what I mean? I, that's what it was like for me. Like, re- the same way when I was a kid, reading those issues of Brave and the Bold where things just seemed wrong. You know? Like, why is why is Batman dead and being controlled 
by the atom who's like jumping up and down in the hypothalamus of his brain. Like, you know what I mean? Like that just seems wrong and weird. And I had really various elements of that with this whole like, okay, so now the Joker's going to dress up these other dudes, you know, he he's basically and make them pull the electrified chainsaw out of the rock. Like I'm kind of like I see where each of those pieces sort of comes together, but mm-hmm. like visually it just ends up looking like um i don't know like surrealist play on this stuff like really odd you know yeah i i have to say of the of the two i found batman and robin far, far more disturbing yeah yeah well, and for... far more disjointed because the reveal that it is again spoilers not bruce wayne mm-hmm. in the batman outfit is so offhanded mm mm-hmm. mhm and comes so late, yeah. That it's re- like it's a really disorienting book. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And part of me, like I, for the for the majority of the book, I was like, wait, has the Joker somehow got Batman? And how does this tie in with what's happening in the Batman comic? Right, exactly. Yeah, I mean, I had that too. So I had this weird like they kept it going for long enough that it was like, oh, okay, so this is this is this is a fake, you know? It, it, he, but they kept doing it for such a long time that you're like wait it's not a fake like like there's just that weird level of like who the hell do you think that you guys are are fooling while at the same time everything is drawn with just a weird fetishistic level of ugliness you know yeah Pat Gleason is simultaneously the greatest artist in this Mm -hmm. and like really horrendous yeah well I I think he does a great Joker I think his Joker is far scarier than um the then God was his name. Dan Capullo, yeah. yeah. Mm-hmm. I, I think Patrick Gleason's Joker is fucking terrifying. Yeah, I agree. I and agree. I love the way that uh, Gleason keeps playing with shadows to the point where the Joker mask almost becomes a, like a skull mm-hmm. in many of the scenes. Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. I think that's really nice. Yeah. Um, but yeah, Batman and Robin is like really creepy. Yeah, it's really, really creepy. I mean, he really at every stage. It happened with the previous issue and it happened with this issue where I'm like, okay, I'm having more maggots thrown in my face. You know what I mean? Like, just really, like, it's so grand guignol um, that that both of the comics, I just had this weird thing of, like, how do I put it? Like, they, sort of the same way, I've, again, Bob Haney, like, these books don't succeed, I guess, but what they're doing is somehow so over the top, it's kind of like I'm catching and mind blowing in its own right, but I'm really having that strange sort of almost high camp feeling of like I'm not sure if what they think I'm getting out of this is what, what I'm supposed to exactly, you know. So yeah, I'm I'm weirdly enough, I really want to reread all the th- issues when they're done mm. and like put them together and see if they hang together mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. because I have the strangest feeling that each tie-in will, hang, will have, like, have an internal consistency, mm-hmm. but will not make sense within the, the larger story. Right. Right. Yeah, I think... I think I kind of feel like that's... I think you're right. Um, so, which is just... I don't know. It, it's it's a head-scratcher for me. So, I really wanted to talk about those and see if you were reading that. Uh, a lot of this other stuff I feel like I actually can put off talking about, since we do have questions and answers, but I did want to at least mention that I picked up issues five and six of Black Kiss number two. 
Oh, I read issue what six did? digitally. I, I meant to tell you that as well. Oh, okay. Oh, what the what the fuck? What the fuck? <laughs> yeah. Bear in mind, I haven't read it since issue two. And even issue two, I was like, what the fuck? But like issue six in particular was uh, I have no idea what has happened in the issues I missed, and I really do not want to find out. <laughs> well, it, we- it it was stunningly banal. Mm-hmm. Do you not think? Like it was really really boring, and he was trying so hard to shock. Uh, well, see, you know, actually the thing that I think is fascinating, the thing that amazes me about Black Kiss 2 is, like, it's, if you pick up issue 5, it's not until issue 5 that essentially Chicken gets her, yeah. That the characters from the first series come back? Exactly. They come back, and it basically proceeds from there. I'm like, really? So you're, you're doing a sequel where your sequel does not really start until the fifth issue. Um, but, but that's because the first four issues are a prequel, right? Yeah, I that's guess. What, but that's what six issue says. Six issue says like the succubus that has been in all the earlier issues is the villain from the first series. Yes, absolutely. No, 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 no. Don't get me wrong. And I mean, I understand that. I, how do I put this? I understand why. I just don't understand why it was done so poorly. I guess. And so I was really fascinated with the idea to which. And this would help you more, I think, if you'd read issue five. But weirdly enough, I sort of feel like Chicken is being strangely... Like, I almost feel like he's finishing up issue six. The end of issue six is like, well, and there's my secret coded autobiography. You know? <laughs> in a way that is really creepy to me. And in fact, and this shows you just... That's the part that's creepy? Well, no, I guess... Well, the thing that I find really creepy, apart from the whole approach to it, is is that if I look at it in the sense of a coded autobiography, I feel like what Chaikin is saying by having his... And spoilers, I don't know who would want to read Black Kiss 2, to be honest, I that hasn't already read it. But for those of you who are trade waiting, I will be talking about the end in detail. Um... The idea is is that, you know, uh, through the first five issues, the, the succubus that was, you know, killed at the end of the, the first Black Kiss series essentially takes on a, 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 a transsexual lover with each issue. And each issue is pretty much the death of the transsexual lover and the movement through history of uh, Beverly Grove, essentially, and her various Dagmars. The thing that is odd about it, like I said, is that the sixth issue, as you know, ends up with Cass, the the character from the first miniseries, essentially becoming Beverly Grove's uh, aging consort and feeling incredibly ambivalent about it, but in a way where he's completely trapped. And I'm fascinated to which the idea that... How do I put this... He draws a very distinct comparison in the sixth issue and the first issue of joining the succubus that is Beverly Grove to the movies. And I sort of wondered if that meant that Dagmar, the transsexual, is um, comics, you know? Yeah, I, I had that as well. I had, I had how much of this is Jacob's coded resignation for being back in comics. Oh, yeah. Uh, Well, interestingly enough, uh, yeah, being back in comics or his resignation for giving up on comics, 
essentially. Oh, really? I didn't get I didn't get the resignation from being back because uh, the, the part of the the comic movie thing that became interesting to me is mm-hmm. at the end, uh, Beverly decides that she is not going to make another Dagmar. Mm-hmm. Yes, exactly. That was so. Are you saying that that is? Uh, oh yeah, I guess I am cinema, saying that, right. Yeah, cinema yeah. deciding that it does not need comics anymore. Yeah, essentially. Because I I was flipping around. I was thinking of Beverly as comics slash pulp culture mm. taking over mainstream culture. See, that I think you're probably closer. You're probably closer to the mark with that. Although, as far as I can tell, and I would have to reread it. God help me. Most of the issues through Black Kiss 2, it is the Dagmar character that's associated with pop and pulp. Mm -hmm. Literally, it's the Dagmar culture, uh, the Dagmar character that is the one that's having. You follow that that through in the six, where uh, she becomes the like the the internet dominatrix Mm -hmm. character. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So you can say like that again. That's that's a, a manifestation of pop culture. Yeah. I, I think you're probably right. I think you're probably right. Um, but yeah, I felt that the Dagmar is weirdly enough. I'm like, oh, comics, the hermaphroditic art form. You know, it kind of weirdly made sense. Like, I'm like, I sort of see that. Like, it's both words and pictures, right? And so the succubus, which clearly, clearly represents the movies, um, as you point out, it basically is reborn through comic books or through pulp pop culture in that in that uh I guess the fifth or sixth issue, I don't remember which one it is where where she basically explodes out of her previous uh Dagmar incarnation. But there's this um throughout, like it's kind of like, okay, so if she's the movies and then Dagmar is is comics, you know, cast the the Howard definitely the Howard Chaikin stand-in character becomes the consort of movies. And it may well be that that consort, like you said, is uh, a resignation to, I guess not resignation to comics, but the idea of the resignation of the meaningless of comics. You know, that essentially the cinema's mindless, humpery influence on comic culture has won, which again, now that I think about it, strangely makes sense because again, every Dagmar influence, every Dagmar proxy in all the previous issues of Black Kiss 2 want to be um, Beverly Grove or, uh, you know, uh, what Ilona Fontaine or whoever she is. She was like this, you know, movie star and all of the Dagmars recognize her and want to be her and model themselves after her. And so I wonder if Chicken is saying, yeah, you know, comics was so eager to become movies and now, you know, and give up all of the stuff that makes it weird and ungainly and interesting uh, and unseemly, well, unseemly. And now it's basically just sort of a glassy eyed voyeur. You know what I mean? That's it's basically enthralled the movies at the end. And Chicken is, too. And like you said, that could be the movie culture or it could be but I, I didn't so so weirdly like I said I got this weird feeling he wasn't so much apologizing for being in comics it struck me as being uh, sorry for, for essentially being um, essentially a consort to Hollywood and to, to movies and there you have it people I it's a, it's a weird comic 
it's a very, very strange comic, and, and hopefully that will help you at all. If you were reading it, it will not actually help you whack off to it, which, God help me, you're, <laughs> you are on your own in that case. I think even Chaken thought so. So, um, And I think that's it. Saga was great. At some point, I should talk to you about The Highways, which uh, Hibs... Oh, the, the, the Burn comic. Yeah, the Burn comic. Did, did IDW send you a copy of that? They did not, but I was thinking about picking it up after seeing various people talk about it. Maybe we'll do that next week. Yeah, I think we should. And we'll move in we'll move into Q&A and uh, I'll have a whole bunch of other comics, but nothing that I can really um make CD quite the way that I made Black Kiss 2 CD. <laughs> With that bombshell. This is why you ruined my thing earlier on my last two comics because our first uh, question rather is from Al Ewing. Oh, of course it is. See, um, and we were talking about Al Ewing, and it was like, it would be the, the good segue. And was. talking about Al Ewing working for Marvel, here's Al Ewing asking us some questions a month and a half ago. <laughs> See, now, once you throw in that month and a half ago, I'm like, it's not such an awesome segue, Graham. <laughs> Jeff, where do you stand on vodka and Coke? I do not. Where do you stand on Christmas crackers? Never had them. Where do you stand on Dennis the Menace versus Dennis the Menace and Nasher? Oh, no idea what he's talking about. Graham, let's flip this around. <laughs> now that we're in through the first three, vodka and Coke? Uh, I don't drink, so sure, whatever. Christmas crackers? Uh, I'm a big fan, but I don't miss them as much as I used to. Oh, I totally forget. The Christmas crackers are actually the little confetti poppers, yes, not an yes. actual... God damn it, I finally know that, and I knew it on my own. Bless my wife and her her anglophilic TV viewing tastes. Um, so Dennis the Menace v Dennis the Menace and Nasher. Oh God, Den- definitely Dennis the Menace and Nasher. Do you do you know what this was in reference to or not? No, of course not. Uh, okay, so Dennis the Menace in America is the newspaper strip character, the blonde kid with the dungarees. Yes. And in Britain, Dennis the Menace and Nasher is uh, the a character in the comic called the Beano. That like everyone read as they were growing up as a kid. Oh, it's a Beano character. Um, okay, right. And Dennis Menace is like really, like like he's meant to be like the naughtiest kid in town or something. Mm-hmm. And Asher is his little dog. Mm. Um, and yeah, Dennis Menace, Dennis Menace and Asher is a great comic creation. Hmm. So yeah, def- definitely Dennis the Menace and Asher. Mm-hmm. 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 Okay, good to know. Big big sags of swag on them versus big swags with dollar signs on them. Well, I know this is a trick question, but anyone would pick big sacks with dollar signs on them. Anyone. Anyone. Unless Graham doesn't. In which case, everyone but Graham. Swag, because swag, Jeff, is international. Maybe you're not picking up dollars. Maybe you're picking up euros. Have you thought about that? Oh, man. What is wrong with you guys? Okay. Five. The agro-style UK comics of the late 70s. Uh, I'm still kind of scared of them. They are scary. I fucking read uh, Shaco, uh, which is sort of... <laughs> We're going to get that last week. How was it? Fucking awesome. I loved everything about it. it. Well, the only thing that I didn't love about it was is that it wasn't Hookjaw. But holy shit, that stuff is... Like, it kind of scared me while reading it as a 46-year-old man. And there's something that's great about that. Like, if that stuff... If I read that stuff as a kid, I finally understand why some of you people are so fucked up. You so, what Shaco is to people? Cause yes, will not know. For for those who don't remember, because uh, John Kane mentioned it, and I think I talked. We talked about it last episode. Shaco is the only bear on the CIA death list. It's very heavily influenced 
by the comics that ran in action in the 70s, even though if I'm to reading these, the, the trade paperback reprint rights correctly, Shaco actually appeared in early issues of 2000 AD. Like, I want to say Shaco might actually have been intended for action. I think that's right as well. I think I do know at some point somebody had a whole history of it that I read and have then forgot. Shaco is fucking phenomenal because it is a story about a polar bear who ends up um, swallowing a capsule that is that can contains a virus that the CIA have been working on and so a committed uh, CIA dude sends a bunch of people out to kill the bear and get the capsule removed and Shaco being the most awesome ass kickiest thing in the world um, manages to thwart the CIA and the Russians and manages to pretty much murder and eat everyone brutally unless they're an Eskimo um, and it is fucking aw- I'm stunned at how you can actually have a five page comic strip in which the main character is a polar bear and A, you can have half a dozen people get killed in new and interesting ways and there's something I mean it's a deliberate it's a deliberately crude sort of storytelling twist but it is it is brilliant it, it makes it makes EC comics look like Carl Buck, Buck, Carl Barks's Uncle Scrooge. Wow, I'm going to. Uh, it, it's out. also worth pointing out that the CIA character in Shaco, Jeff. Yes. His name. Mm-hmm. Is... Buck Dollar. No, 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 no. That. Wait, is that not Buck Dollar? No, no, no. Buck Dollar is the half Eskimo ecologist who is recruited... Oh, I'm I'm totally misremembering that. I just remember Buck Dollar as a name, like, even as a kid. Yeah. Because I first read it in, like, a 2080 annual or something. Holy shit. Really? Yeah, I know. I read this shit as a kid. Oh, man. I don't know how that didn't warp you for life. But, yeah, the the CIA dude is Falmouth, F-A-L-M-U-T-H, and I can't remember if he's got himself a clever nickname. Oh, J.K. Falmouth, nicknamed Foulmouth. Which is kind of great because the first couple of issues he doesn't say anything worse than damn. But then later he starts, like, they start putting in actual comic book swears. And Shaco, like, in true, you know, great white monster form, bites off his arm, rips his arm off. And then Falmouth, who's, like, a, a single-armed, it becomes, like, an obsessive Ahab-esque character. And the thing that's also I, great is is that Buck Dollar is the guy who respects Shaco for being the natural killing force that he is and a beautiful specimen. So he actually does lobby to save Shaco when they finally capture him and just surgically operate and remove the capsule. And what's great is essentially that decision dooms everyone and it's phenomenal. So agro style comics, mm-hmm. people who, who do not know, which is probably the majority of people listening to this, um, is I, I want to say shameless comics, mm-hmm. like comics that literally just set out to thrill yeah, and have no, I, I think that even today there is a pretension or a, a higher purpose in American comics mm-hmm. to be uh, and I, I think that the pretension has changed throughout the years. At first it was like to be educational, mm-hmm. to be to be aspirational, mm-hmm. to be you know, to be literature quote unquote Yeah. and British kids comics in the 70s didn't have that. There was like a whole new wave of creators that came in like the mid 70s mm-hmm. that they were just like let's, like this is a trash medium. Yeah let's trash it up. 
yeah, we are going to be, we're literally just going to set out stories to make young boys go, holy shit. Yeah. The results, I mean, it, it turned into 2000 AD, mm-hmm. uh, but before that, there was something called Action. Yeah. Action okay. was this fucking insane comic. Mm-hmm. Um that was pulled but like actually like there it was actually censored by the publisher uh because because there was like campaigns against it in the uk about how immoral it was yeah um it's and it was awesome. by the publisher and it, it was off the shelves for like a month maybe mm-hmm. while they retooled it yeah i just pray to god that this shako sells well enough that somebody puts out a, a hook jaw collection but, that jo- i can buy jo- 2007 what's that what's it collected yeah but only over overseas, I thought. Probably, yeah. But yeah. Yeah, I'm, the internet, Jeff, the internet. Here are <laughs> thanks, yeah, the major stories of action comics. Yeah. This will blow your fucking minds, listeners. There is Hookjaw, created by Pat Mills, who went on to create lots of stuff for today's nitty, uh, as a Jaws cash-in and the flagship series in comic. <coughs> Hookjaw is a great white shark and hero of the series, even though he spends most of his time eating most of the human cast of characters. It's fucking awesome. Very much similar in Shaco, in that uh, with Hookjaw, most of the characters were like evil, like oil industry dudes. Just gave them a strip of environmental edge by having Hookjaw eat corrupt humans or criminals seeking to exploit the seas. Fucking awesome. As well as anyone else unlucky enough to get near him. Yes. Yeah. That's why. Um, the first story was set in an oil rig. They're setting on an island resort in the Caribbean, and the third set just off the south coast of England. Yeah. The second story, Blackjack, created by John Wagner, co-creator of Judge Dredd, uh, it told the story of Jack Barron, a boxer who fights to help poor kids, knowing that he runs the risk of going blind. Oh yeah. It's called Blackjack, by the way, because Jack Barron was black. <laughs> <laughs> Death Game 1999. This series was a cash-in and the success of Rollerball and dealt with a lethal future sport played by condemned prisoners. I have to reread. That's one that I ha- I only read like the first script of and I was like, eh. And, and I've got to read more of those. Hellman of Hammer Force. <laughs> Story of German Panzer Major. Yes, that's right. Yeah. Was a tough, dirty Harry type agent. The strip was popular due to its increasingly bizarre and violent action scenes. <laughs> Look out for Lefty. Yes, was an unconventional football strip based on the adventures of Kenny Lampton, a working-class teenager whose powerful left foot gave him the nickname Lefty. It was unlike any other football strips in British Boys Comics at the time, because the strip would include football hooliganism, as well as Lefty's not always being a clean-cut hero. Yeah, he's the dude that like is discovered basically like. They discover how awesome he is after he like robs something and like jumps over a bunch of like backyard fences to get away or something like that. And here is the story that is like the strip that was it. Kids rule okay. <laughs> Heard about this? No, I don't think so. Nineteen eighty six. A plague has wiped out the adult population, with the result that violent gangs of children run riot. This strip was instantly controversial with its heavy anti anti authoritarian tone and extreme violence. The strip did not survive the ban. Two episodes were destroyed by the publisher's IPC entirely. Oh my god. Oh my so god. I heavily edited. Yeah. The yeah. entire series is found, can be found in a reprint called Action, the Story of a Violent Comic. It mm-hmm. came out in uh, 1990, apparently. 
Yeah, actually, uh, Action, the Story of a Violent Comic, I think is where I read the hook job reprints. If, if people are interested in this, online there is an Action archive that has, I think, just about everything readable. And that's where I read basically so much hook jaw that my testicles retracted um, uh, from fear. Uh, and uh, I totally recommend it. It's awesome. So, yeah, Agro Comics were great. Mm-hmm. Uh, Terrifying, like they genuinely were. I like there. There is something weirdly unsettling about them. Uh, but they have an energy that comics just don't have anymore, and a fearlessness and a a, a trashiness. Yeah. Well, I think that's the thing. Is is that it's kind of uh, unlike sort of hiding behind, you know, decompressed storytelling or you know the whole like hoo hoo we're telling complex you know meta stories. It literally was just you have. Five pages, you're making it as brutal as possible, go for it. Like, Lord knows this is the wrong year to be making this comparison, but a few years back when everybody was talking about grindhouse cinema, the stuff that I read in action was like the grindhouse cinema of comics, and it was phenomenal for that. So yes, we, we like Agrochelle Comics, are you? Uh, High-style design heaviness in U.S. superhero work. Could the design sensibility of a David Dadja or a Jonathan Hickman replace the hem-hem design sensibility of bendy spines and porn poses and upskirt angles if we all wish really hard? <laughs> Wait, what did you say, Graham? Did you have an answer for that? No. I, I wish it could, but it won't. Yeah, it won't. I, I don't think so either. Um, although it's amazing to me the number of comics where... God, what was the one... Like, looking at the... Looking at... Um, Black Beetle, because I picked up the zero issue and the first issue of Black Beetle by Francesco Francovia, and I, I I wish that I had loved them more than I did, but I have to say that the the things that frustrated about me about them, by and large, were mainly um, the writing more than the graphics and the storytelling, uh, and and there's an ad I think in. Was it in this? What's the one that's like the uh, the thief that's you know that has access? Basically, Kid Eternity is a thief. Do you know what I'm talking about? The idea what you're talking about. Oh man. Okay. Um, we'll have to hunt it up later. But it's it's like a it's like a book that's coming out soon where that looks gorgeous and very very Toth influenced. I feel like the artists are getting are you're getting more and more of those guys who are who are really into those eras and trying to integrate more of the history of the medium into their stuff. It's just, I don't necessarily think that they can do a monthly book. So it's not just that. I think what's going to happen is if, uh, for example, Hawkeye is getting really popular. Mm -hmm. And I think what's going to happen is we're going to see a wave of people wanting to do what Aja does with Hawkeye, Mm -hmm. but copying the aesthetic of what he does, as opposed to the attitude of what he does. Mm. And so we'll get lots of people who don't actually understand what he's doing. Right. And I think that's the problem. I think the problem is you get people who come along and are fresh mm-hmm. and successful and everyone's like, I want to do that. And they do that. Mm-hmm. Not, they don't understand what he's what is actually being done. Yeah. And I think that's the cycle of... Com- I think that's the history of comics. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You get people who go for the surface and not for the intent. Right. And so I think even if the design sensibility of David Ajar Jonathan Hickman became the norm. Mm-hmm. It wouldn't be the sensibility. It would be the, the aesthetic. Yeah, 
Yeah, I mean, there may be a lot of people who are like, oh, I can totally build up this page in Google SketchUp, done and done. But, yeah, I don't think that that's going to help. I'll, I mean, you look at the Hawkeye covers and be like, oh, look, that's, that's just like two colors and gray. I could totally do that. <laughs> there's a lot of white space. And then there's black and white character. And, you know, there's a color on there. Awesome. Awesome. I can do this. Uh, the book I was talking about is called Five Ghosts, The Haunting of Fabian Gray. Um, by writer Frank J. Barbier and artist Chris Mooneyham. And Chris Mooneyham's work looks pretty goddamn like Joe Kubert-esque to me in a way that looks awesome. So I'm kind of hopeful. That doesn't really help with your answer, but I also agree no. Uh, Okay, Bad Machinery. Where do you stand on it? I don't. Girls with Slingshots? Haven't read it either. Dinosaur Comics. Love it. Dinosaur Comics is phenomenal. Ryan have North is great. Bad Machinery or Girls with Slingshots? I don't think so. I don't think I have. Which one's Bad Machinery? It's. Uh, see, I only know Bad Machinery because it's coming out as a uh, Dark Horse thing soon. And when I saw the solicitation, I went back and read it. Mm. Uh, bad Machinery is by John Allison. Mm-hmm. Uh, when you look at it, it's 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 visually reminiscent to me of a full-color... Ooh. Oh, wait. Maybe that does sound familiar then. Hmm. I'll have to look at it. Yeah, I think you should look because I also think you'd like it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Interesting. You know, right? I know of it, but I can't really. Like, part of me is like, I want to Google it now and see if I've seen it because I just. Mm. It, again, I, it's it's kind of. I, it, yes. I'm not a fan of Garcia Slingshots, but. You're not. No, no. I mean, I, it's one of those things that, like, eh. Right. As opposed to um, uh, and Dinosaur Comics, I have to admit, I'm kind of over. Well, I think yeah, I, I yeah. come and go on it, and yeah. I'm definitely not there right now. Put it that way. Yeah, I I would have to say that I haven't been there in maybe six months or so, I mean, which makes sense because I mean, there's only I want to say there's only so far the joke can go, but the, the really limits a joke, right? And and at that point, it's sort of it's the the joke, and then you've got the triumph of the voice. But once you actually sort of kind of get tired of the voice, I think, you know, you can run for a couple of years on it. I still think it's an amazing achievement. But, yeah, I have to – I would not be honest if I said that I've looked in like the last six or seven months ago or so. Um, Girls with Slingshots, I'm 90% sure that I started reading from the beginning and was kind of not so into. But that that could be me. I have the strangest feeling that you actually recommend Girls with Slingshots to me. Really? Like a lifetime ago. You sure that wasn't Lauren Davis, our web comics genius? No, I'm fairly sure it was you, because I think you recommended it to me before you knew Lauren. Oh, wow. Really? Huh. Yeah. All right. That sounds just crazy enough to actually be the case. So that's why I was like, are you sure you haven't read it? But there you go. Right. Uh, short version now. Uh, Jeff can't remember, and I am, I am a fan, not really a fan, and used to be a fan. Right. Respect there we go. Mo Walker, if you could put together an Avengers slash Justice League style team comprised of Kirby characters, <coughs> who would make the cut? What an amazing, awesome question that is. Because I assume that that means that we can create, as long as it's Kirby characters, we can choose from any era or anything. 
That's what I took as mean, yeah. Yeah. How fucking awesome would that be? I wish I had read this question because I'd be like, ooh, I've still got an answer prepared. Okay, um, so shall yeah. we table it and come back next week? No, no, no. I, I we just have to sort of quickly think out loud, I suppose. Uh, do you have a? Do you have? Okay, so first off, for me, original Kirby style OMAC, I would put. Yes. That's funny. I was starting with that, and I was also going to include um, Silver Star. Oh, Silver Star. Okay, that's that's great. Um, yeah, it's interesting because I uh, Silver Star is actually a good pick. Uh Machine Man would be good as sort of our regular everyday dude. Um, the Demon, um, I think, would be good I, as I, a Demon, yeah, you know, as a wild card character. Um, the Thing, uh, I think, would be an awesome choice. Um, you know, from the Fantastic Four, you may have heard of it. Uh, <laughs> Perhaps you've heard. He goes by Benjamin Joseph Grimm. <laughs> oh, you know his middle name. That's great. Is, I'm always I, like, is Jay. it Joseph? I just because it's Ben. I know it's Benjamin J. Grimm. Yeah. I always just assumed it was Joseph. I, I thought it was Jacob, but uh, time to look. Here we go, Internet. Um, then I feel like you've got to kind of have like one of his classic, like like older characters represented. But I don't know who. It's Jacob. You're right. Oh, hey! Check me out, world. Uh, I I want to say that um, I would go with uh, like I would do I I would probably sort of do that weird um, up you know sort of uh, gosh who's who are the guys um, Robert Lauren Fleming slash Keith Given updating of it, but I would I would pick a character from the '40s and then make them oh like Fighting American. I would pick Fighting American and then make him, like, kind of the wacky character, like the crazy hobo character, sort of. Maybe. I don't know. I, I, I'm also throwing in Big Barda and the Wasp. Oh, man. Big Barda's great. And the Wasp? Yeah. Big Barda I you've got to have. Wasp. I love the Wasp. Really? I'm, I'm not sure how I feel. I've run hot and cold on the Wasp, I have to admit. I, I, think, I think she's a great character. I think she's almost continually been like washed over in terms of being used I think the Wasp is a spectacular character I really really like her interesting interesting I there are times when I I guess I do like her it's just there have been she's been handled so inconsistently over time I'm a little meh um yeah that's a good one and then god I keep thinking that it's like going to be like a western character you know like the but I don't I don't really I'm not as familiar with so yeah, I think I would say I'd say that's a pretty good representation. I sort of feel like we need at least one scientific character, like we need one guy smoking a pipe. Oh, I, I was I was going there, but also not going there. Mm-hmm. I was going to go for um, God, what's his name? Uh, Gabe Jones from the Highland Commandos. Oh, that's really funny. Yeah, and I would have gone but, with but some, not as the scientist guy, mm-hmm. but like as as the the behind the scenes guy. Right. Right, 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 as a behind-the-scenes guy. Whereas I think I would go with maybe Prof from The Challengers of the Unknown. And now that I think about it, I've, you've got to have Destroyer Duck in there because you've just got to have Destroyer Duck. Like, maybe I would boot out Fighting American just to get Destroyer Duck in there. I hope that makes you happy. And Volstag. Can we throw in Volstag? Shouldn't Volstag, Volstag. be there? Yeah. Jeff Lester Volstag. That's a good choice, don't you think? <laughs> I'm not sure how I feel about Volstagg. Volstagg can be a bit too comedic for me. Well, it is true. It is true. But I think there is something to be said for this. The sad thing is, is having assembled all that, I'm like, God, I really am assembling like the, the again the Robert Lennon, 
Lauren Fleming like Keith Giffen version of the Jack Kirby All Star team. Whereas I think Kirby would do it completely differently. I can't help but feel he would put Silver Surfer in there in place of one of the characters that we picked, but I wouldn't know which you one. You think it, it's Silver Surfer? He, I feel he'd definitely have that or like a New Gods in there. Yeah, I think so too. I, I guess we'll go Barda. Yeah, well, you do have Barda. That's why I think Barda was such a good pick because it's like it's the New girl, new Gods and I almost said the New Girls. That would be great. Um, yeah, okay. So I think we answered that in a way that I'm still salivating over everyone else. <laughs> Mo Walker also asks, what are your thoughts on Series 4 of Misfits? It was terrible, except for the one episode that I begged Graham to watch, and I don't know Which if you I've watched Which I've now it. watched. And what did you I, think? I, I'm midway through. Um, the episode he's talking about, everyone, is the third episode? It is the third episode. Which is great, apart from having the world's biggest plot hole in it. The word, like, a plot hole that I really had problems struggling with the entire fucking episode. Uh, is it the whole thing of, like, how how the one, his third character... How, was... Yeah, how can he be in jail and be in community service at the same time? Yes, right. Someone else Which is, like, that. a massive plot hole. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty big. It's pretty big. Um, um, yeah, I, I, literally, the entire time I was like, they're going to have to acknowledge it, right? They're going to have to say something. No, no, they're not. They I forgot did. it was Misfits. Yeah. Um, I actually warmed to it. As you know, I, I really had a problem with the first episode. The mm-hmm. first episode just made me think, why are they doing this? Like, mm-hmm. it clearly finished in the third season. Right. Uh, now that I've made it all the way through the fourth episode, mm-hmm. um, I it's grown on me. The new characters are all right. Mm-hmm. I like Jess. I find Finn particularly annoying. Yes. Uh, and also kind of pointless. He seems like a sort of weak retread of Rudy, who in himself is a retread of Nathan. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. And so it throws the dynamic off really weirdly. Yeah. It's kind of like, oh, well, we need another comedic guy. Because I almost feel like they are so good with like the Nathan slash Rudy-esque material that they were like, we just have to have a character that we can have for the overflow for a lot of that. And I think they did that with Finn, and it's such a such a huge mistake. But um, uh, yeah, uh, oh gosh, what's her name? Also, the, 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 the Jess, the, the mm-hmm. new one? Yes. Uh, uh, yeah, Jess. She's great. I mean... She that... is, and she, she is... She brings a, a really necessary dynamic mm-hmm. like she is very clearly a combination of Aisha and Kelly yes she is but but, actual... but that combination works yeah. in a way that I don't think the two characters did individually well it's interesting because um, you know my wife loved Kelly so much and the character itself was just sort of such a delight but then they quickly ran out of they had no idea kind of what to do with her it seemed like after a while um, yeah. But yeah, I I think Carla Chrome as Jess is uh, it, it's a good combination, and she's also just a superb actress in that she's able to do the um, sort of the the tough girl banter, but also kind of the sensitive the sensitive eye acting. She's just really really good, and as, again, especially in that episode where where she deals with a sociopathic Rudy from sort of such a weird place of you're you're so creepy and you're completely disgusting to kind of having respect to him. Like, I really honestly feel that it, that episode works. There's some stellar direction in it. 
but it works so well because of the skill of those two actors. Um, yeah, jo- Joseph Gilgood in that episode is amazing. Fucking I was phenomenal. saying this to Kate yesterday because he's saying Rudy's dialogue, but the delivery is so different mm-hmm. and so not different. Yeah. That, like, you completely understand this is not the same Rudy. Mm-hmm. But it's not so like it's not um completely melodramatic. Yeah, uh, you know how that thing when someone talks really and like, they yeah he's taken one small piece of empathy out. Yeah, yeah, just one and piece. it changes everything. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. He really does, and it's just God. I I really did like I I I liked that actor before that episode, but afterwards I was just he kind of became like we went and watched that shitty lockout movie, which I do not recommend anyone watch. Uh. And we also watched uh, the movie of This Is England, both of which were on Netflix. And This Is England, I quite liked. And, uh, you know, he's super young in it, but but good as well. So, yeah, that guy's great. The thing that's kind of frustrating is by the end of the fourth season, by it by the time it ends, and I don't want to spoil this for you, Graham, per se, but I kind of feel like that's they're finally all the pieces are in place for the season to really start. And that's the part that's the most one of the more frustrating things about season four, is. But at the same, like they kind of were locked into that, I guess. Like mm-hmm. it's a very weirdly constructed season anyway. They write Kelly off between seasons. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and they kind of pay lip service to it, but also kind of don't. Mm-hmm. And it it it's there so little that you kind of wish they just entirely written her out mid like between seasons. Right. Right. Um, and then Curtis hanging around for half the season. Right. It's also weirdly distracting because part of me was just like, why is he still doing community service? Right, exactly. Huh? And that was the, I also had problems with, with that, yeah. Uh, well, you know the whole situation with Kelly, or don't you? Yes, no, I do. Okay, so I mean, that was one but she, where. She apparently was out, the, out before she was involved in all of that again. Yeah, but. Uh, wait, she was she was out of prison. You mean before the no, I, no, out of the show. They had apparently made the decision to write her out. Oh, I didn't realize. I thought they wrote her out of the prison? show after that whole situation happened, because you know, because she clearly is there at the end of, like you said, of season three. Um, and it would have been very easy for them to just kick her out with, uh, with what's his name, uh, Seth, and then and then you'd be set. Yeah, that, that's what I mean. Like it was so weird to have Seth back. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Oh, completely. And being like, yeah. So I'm picking up her stuff, as opposed to just being like, I can't believe they ran away. Yeah, yeah. I, Do you know what I mean? I, yeah. And, and the fact that he's back for two episodes. Well, because I really felt like they needed that. They needed that familiar face, and they felt they needed that familiar face until they got Finn and and Jess installed, which took much longer than it should have, too. So. Do you think? I actually thought that. I was surprised by how, like, I was perfectly okay with them being in the show by the third episode. I, well, let's put it this way. I was too, actually, and that's why I think when we talked last time and you were like, there's no reason for this show to go on. I'm like, actually, I thought they did an okay job with it. It's just, I I guess what I mean is, is that they actually had Jess in place, like, properly uh, in time, like Finn, Finn still doesn't gel. If you know what I'm saying, like yeah, Finn serves no purpose. Yeah, and and, and you're aware of that. But yeah. I, I feel that, like I, I feel like I accepted both of them nonetheless earlier, uh, quicker than I accepted Rudy. Mm, yeah, I, it's true. Like at this point, Rudy is my favorite character. No, I'm not just saying that because he's the longest lived character, mm-hmm. but Rudy by the end of the third season, mm-hmm. I was completely won over by. Yeah, 
But even midway through, I was like, I'm not sure about this Rudy guy. Yeah, it really was. Whereas I'm only halfway through the fourth season, I'm like, okay, so this is is who the characters are now. Right. (coughs) Well, that's true. Well, I'll be curious. The thing that's hilarious is Misfits is the topic that will not go away with. We've now talked about it for three straight podcasts, so... I know. It's because I'm I'm taking my time watching it. That's totally fine. I'm just... I'm really glad that you saw that one episode, because episode three is, like I said, just remarkable. Uh, And then there's... You've got some other crap coming up that I pity you for, so... (laughs) Thanks. I have to admit, I thought the Curtis episode was kind of terrible. It was terrible. It was so badly done. And it was the whole, like, wait, this is the subplot that you're building for toward this? And then, yeah, there were a lot of people on the internet who were like, oh, that was amazing. I'm like, man, I feel for that character. Like, the actor put in so much time, and to go out on an episode like that was just bad. Like they And, and again, there was a massive plot hole in that episode, which, to be fair, has been a massive plot hole for me in the series since the zombie episode. Uh, Why yeah. didn't Seth take the, the power away? Oh yeah, no, I know. Like, just take it before he left. Like, I know. It's. I mean, like, why I, would anyone say this? I've got a power to turn everyone into zombies. Yeah, I'll hold on. To I'll this. keep this. Don't. Yeah, I'm good. No, I mean, the whole thing. Just the fact that Curtis has had something like four powers over the course of the four seasons is just, I, I think, really a bad sign. You know what I mean? Like, I was like. Ugh. Oh, yeah, they gave him that power, and then they kept him with that power. So then is everything good? Yeah, you're right. Uh, should we move on to John KUK? Let's, and let's do his questions, and then we'll have to jump. Because we managed to do three questions this week, because we <laughs> talked about everything else, and their technical issues just fucked us up See, for the so technical long. issues did fuck us up, so sorry, everybody. Um, yes. Okay, questions. One, a revival of qualities, Big Ben, the man with no time for crime, by Al Ewing and Jay Bone. Yes or no? Quickly, Graham, yes or no? Uh, no, but only because I disagree with Jay Bowen. I'm not sure who I'd put on it, but I, Jay Bowen, I don't, I don't see you on it. I think I'm the same way. But but Al Ewing on Big Ben, the man with no time for crime, is a pretty big yes. Biggest loss to comics archive: Rom, Atari Force, or Micronauts original fi- runs. Now. Micronauts. Interesting, interesting. Did uh, I I should mention? Uh, should I mention? I should hold on. Stephen, our um. Loyal whatnot, Stephen Williamson was kind enough to send me the entire run of Rom Space Knight um, just the other day. So I have not had a really? chance to dig into it. Yeah. Yeah. Holy shit. Yeah. Jeff. I know. I know. I was like, what? Stephen, you are aces. So I have a box out in the pink room. Oh, you're, you have some fun reading ahead of you. And also, let's face it, probably some diary reading. But. Yes, exactly. You know, the positive. <laughs> it, it's true. As much as I love Micronauts, I kind of felt like Micronauts went on too long. Maybe that's just me. But I feel like after the original run of everything gets wrapped up when Mantlo sort of goes on to the next stage of things, and admittedly it could have been just that I was too young and impressionable and was creeped out by where he was going, I was just like, eh, you know, so... Well, I, as you know, I'm rereading. Yes. Uh, or rather, reading, because a lot of the early stuff I'd never read, but I'm really familiar with the the, the New Voyages issues, the, the Peter Gillis series. Mm-hmm. Uh, and the weird ending of that, that like really upset me when I was a kid. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and so I'm, I don't know, I'm, I'm, I'm really fascinated with the Micronauts right now. I really am. Right. So I, I would definitely say Micronauts. Interesting. Who really owns Marvel Man in less than 10 words? Marvel, but 
if you're talking about Miracle Man, that's an entirely different question. Right. I suppose that's true. I was going to say every everyone owns their own work, which is five. But except they don't, because Mike, Mick Anglo actually sold his work to Marvel. Mick Anglo sold his work to Marvel. Oh, right. So I guess Mick Anglo doesn't own his work. Yeah. But everyone else who produced their work, they all own it, as far as I I firmly believe that's the case. Um, for A, was Jimmy Broxton, the artist on Night and Squire, a pseudonym? Yes. B, if so, who for? Uh, oh, Dan says right beneath, James Hodgkins. Ah, James Hodgkins, huh? Sometimes anchor of John McRae. Well, there we go. Uh, well, uh, yes, thank you, Dan Coyle, for helping me out on the rest of that. So... Uh, oh, look! Have you seen John Cage's thing beneath that? He says that I would have gone for Ron, but you would go for Micronauts. <laughs> it's so close. It's so absolutely reversed. <laughs> that is pretty beautiful. That is pretty beautiful. Um, Okay. Well, I it's, so is that it? Let's see. I guess so, because we've got Kid Shadow show business after that, because Dan Coyle's responding to John, and John's yeah, responding John to Dan. To Dan. So, yeah. yeah, then then it's Kid show business. But we we really are going to have to jump. I, I have to... I have, Sorry, people. I know this sounds terrible and like I'm bailing, but I swear to God, it's been more than two hours because of all the technical difficulties. It really has, everybody. So, <laughs> yeah, blame me and blame my... This headset's worked okay for you, Graham? Yeah, yeah, it's totally your microphone. Fucking son of a bitch. Okay, well, this is what I'm going to do, despite the fact that it usually sounds much, much jankier when it comes to editing time. Everyone get used to it until I figure out how to solve this ways down the way. I'm sorry, but at the same time, at least I can now hear you. Yeah, which is (laughs) a mixed blessing for you, I'm sure, but, you know. Oh, come on. Everybody, uh, again, sorry for the delays and so for so few questions answered. We will be back next week with more. Jeff Lester. Yes, the skip week. <laughs> next week is the skip week. week off. Okay. Listeners, if you're wondering why I just told Jeff like that, it's because Jeff and I have now talked <laughs> off mic. <laughs> And then come back because I was like, "Wait, next week's a skip week, right?" Yes, uh, and because it is because we've done three weeks in a row, and also because next week this is boring to everyone who isn't me. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's the week I have to do the catalog for Comics Experience. Oh Jesus, yeah. So okay, so that's a perfect skip things. week. Yeah. So yeah. Okay. All right. We'll put next Graham. Week, everyone, uh, we're taking the week off, but then we'll come back. And I, uh, okay, I want to put this out there in the comments for everyone. Do you want us to finish the questions at this point, or do you want us to just leave the other ones for dead? What? What are you talking about? We actually had some people who actually appreciated the half news, half questions. I sort of think that it's good that we're doing, like... I uh, appreciate that, and that we didn't do it this week. <laughs> well, uh, that's just because I wasn't... Uh, we got screwed over as far as the time goes, and also, for some reason, I thought we could answer questions right up till five. So that was really... That was on me. So... You're um, wrong, Jeff Lester. You're wrong. Ah. All right. Uh, I, I'm, <laughs> I'm going to leave in the skip week part. I'm going to cut the part where people ask, because um, I, I know that you're not as a uh, fan of farce as I am, but I love the idea that we're still going to be answering these questions for a couple of Forever. Yeah, forever. Yeah, basically. <laughs>